Hi, this is Mark, lead pastor of Lux Digital Church. I want to thank you for joining us today and also invite you to join with us live at twitch.tv slash Church every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST. Thank you for joining us and please enjoy this message. Welcome to Lux Digital Church. I'm Andy. I'm also known as Tina Major. And I want to thank Pastor Mark for that awesome prayer. I just kind of found myself getting riled up and uh, really like ready to go. Uh, honestly, we're so incredibly honored that you're spending a bit of time with us here tonight. I feel like we say this each and every week, but it's true. Stop trolling me there, Millie Mom. Oh, that was probably a good thing. Um, it's true. Honestly, this is like the best time of the week getting to hang out with all of you here on Twitch live. We get to pray together. We get to worship together. We get to do all of these things and laugh at each other and do all sorts of fun stuff. If you are part of our growing on-demand family listening via podcast or watching on YouTube or via VOD, we don't want you to feel left out. Honestly, I I, I love you. We love you. Here's a church. But I kind of want to, I want to put a little bit of a challenge out to you and really to anyone within the sound of my voice right now. This life that we live is better done with others around us. Being a lone wolf is tough and it's dangerous. That's why we live in community with one another. And that's even online. We live in community with one another. And I know that word can sound super scary, but we make it pretty simple. We have a thriving, active Discord community. It's where our church lives. Hundreds of people there hanging out 24-7, talking about life and board games and video games and TV and movies and pets and having spiritual discussions that have been popping off, by the way, this week. If you haven't checked out the Spiritual Discussions channel, you are missing out. The link is going to go by in the chat right now. Bubba LTN says Lux equals legit. Lux means light, but Lux in my heart means legit. Thanks, Bubba. Hello and welcome as well. Uh, we are going to be inviting everyone to join in Discord. So that link's going to go by uh, exclamation point Discord in the chat, or it's in the description of this video or in the show notes of the podcast. Come on over, join up with all of us, even just for a second to see how it is. Okay, on to today's topic. And this one's going to be really sort of simplistic, but it's also going to be tough to manage. So there's going to be like this weird thing happening back and forth. And to get there, I need to explain kind of how we get there with a story from my own life. So I live in the swampland of Florida. Uh, I have lived here for the better part of 20 years, split up by about 10 years, smack in the middle. So I had about 10 years and well, like 15 years and change. And then about 10 years in the middle where I lived in South New Jersey and in Atlanta. And and being in Florida for so long, I have swamp, exactly. I have uh, experienced a number of these things called hurricanes. Perhaps you've heard of them. Uh, from Katrina, been here, to Ivan, been here, to Irma, been here, to Charlie, been here. We, we see about four or five of these things every single year, at least four or five big ones, and then tropical storms and all their other stuff. And honestly, they're, they're pretty scary. Um, because you never really know what to expect. You can have winds of up to 150 miles an hour with two to three feet of flooding. Uh, Templar, we're going to get to some things that we experienced in the Jersey Shore real quick, actually. Uh, you can you know, have all these winds and two to three feet of flooding. You can have power loss for days. You can have no gas or food or water and stuff like that. Like, it's just super kind of scary. But here's the thing. Houses down here are actually built for this type of stuff. 
when my wife and I, uh, when we moved back down here in 2019, we built this house that I'm currently broadcasting from. I've got my own studio in this little room, but there's a house here. Uh, and this house was brand new. It's awesome. And there's all sorts of building codes that have been enacted to, to really make us be safe from hurricanes to, to protect us. And it was really cool to see all of the protections that the builders take. We have cinder block exterior walls, like the big cinder blocks all the way up to the second story. Every Everything is a cinder block wall. That stuff's not going anywhere. It takes a lot of wind to blow that things away. We've got windows. I've got a window right here. We've got windows and a garage door that can withstand a direct impact from something traveling 175 miles an hour which is nuts. Our roof, actually, this is the coolest part. It actually has straps that go through the cinder block walls down into the concrete slab and then are sunk about two feet into the ground. They're, they're literally straps that tie the roof down. It's awesome. These houses, that this house that I'm living in is actually the safest place to be in a hurricane, surprisingly enough, like I, I wouldn't want to leave here. This is a, and then we can put the we can put the metal shutters up and like nothing's coming through these windows. But for about three years of my life, I lived in a weird place called New Jersey. It's a weird place. It's about 15 minutes south of this island thing called the Atlantic City. Maybe you've heard of it. And it was a place called Ocean City. Ocean City was right on the water, literally, literally right on the Atlantic Ocean. And like Templar said in the chat, living in New Jersey, you think the most dangerous thing would be the spray tans or, you know, crime or bad drivers. You think those would be like the most dangerous things. But in the span of one year, one year in 2012, I experienced two huge events. I experienced an earthquake. And then one of the worst hurricanes to ever hit the United States called Superstorm Sandy. And let me tell you, the houses up there are not built for storms and they're definitely not built for earthquakes. The houses up there are rickety in comparison, like just wooden sticks compared to the cinder block we've down here. I remember uh, specifically what I was doing the day that the earthquake was happening. I was in my the kind of apartment that I was living in and this thing started shaking and I, I, I felt everything kind of moving all around like this. And it literally like I, things were falling off the walls and it wasn't even that big of a hurricane or a hurricane, an earthquake. Uh, but I could feel the house shaking and I ran out to like figure out what was going on. And there were other people like running out and it was just like, oh my gosh, that was an earthquake. Like I've never, I had never experienced one of those. So that was in the spring. Later on in that same year. So this was like end of October, uh, middle of October of that year, 2012. Superstorm Sandy made landfall in Atlantic City, which was just around the corner from me. And it devastated the area. I mean, wrecked it six feet, seven feet, eight feet of ocean water all throughout the city. Homes were literally washed away. I actually have a picture I wanted to show you this. Uh, the picture that we're going to show up is actually the the beachfront. You can see that's that is Atlantic City. There used to be a boardwalk there. There were a bunch of there's homes that literally were shifted. Like they, they were moved. There's supposed to be homes kind of in the center there. And you can see them all pushed back. That was from the storm. It's it's nasty. The eye of the hurricane passed right over us, Mark. Like the, the eye of the hurricane passed right over us. That area was not built to withstand a hurricane. We didn't have power for a couple, a couple of weeks in certain areas and up to months 
for other areas. The people there, we're in 2023, the people there are kind of still paying for it. What does all that mean? Well, we're in this kind of brand new collection of talks called The Conversationalist, where we're looking at the parables of Jesus. We're looking at parables, which like Pastor Mark talked about last week, parables are these stories. And they, they, they have some sort of meaning. They're stories with a point. They're used to teach people. They're not just stories to entertain. They're used to teach. And Jesus was walking around in the first century telling all of these stories, but they're kind of incredibly applicable not only to them, but to us today, which is why we're tying this whole series back to this key statement, which is that Jesus told stories then that are still changing the world today. The stories that the parables that he was telling then are still applicable to what we do today. And today's parable is actually one that you are probably going to be familiar with if you went to another weird place called Sunday school. Now, if you are of a certain age, you know what Sunday school is. Sunday school was like children's ministry when I was growing up, but it was way more boring. I way more boring. I had I had memories of Sunday school. It was essentially me sitting in a church service with my parents for a little bit. And then I would have to get up and go into another room. Uh, and it was usually the kind of this weird, damp, smelly classroom where there was a couple of adults who didn't want to be there and they were very bored and they were reading from ch some children's Bible. And then we would have graham crackers or goldfish and then our parents would come and get us. I'm sorry if this kind of wrinkles some of you. I, I see uh, Jay Sparrow in there like saying, like, mm, you're not old. I'm, I'm 40. It's OK. I really did not like Sunday school. It was always just so boring to me and it smelled bad and all those things. But sometimes during Sunday school, we would sing songs and then we'd have to learn these hand motions for whatever reason. But I, I still remember this. One of those songs was called The Wise Man Built His House. And it was always the, the wise man built his house, uh, built his house upon the rock. The wise man built the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock and the rains came tumbling down and then the rains came down and the floods came. I'm singing, Alice. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. But the house on the rock stood firm. That was it right there, right? So there's the wise man built his house. But then we had the foolish man built his house upon the sand, right? The foolish man built his house upon the sand and the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the sand went smash. That's the song. Pretty stupid song, right? With kind of some weird things. Having kids yell smash was always a different, different kind of fun. Thanks, Ice Puddle. He's, they said, good job. The song's very kind of cutesy and all that, but I actually think it does a real big disservice to the parable behind it. Here, let me, let me show you what I mean. We're going to go to Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse 24. And I'm going to read this parable. Jesus says this, to all who are listening, he says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain came in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on the sand. When the rains and the floods came and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse in a mighty crash. That's, it's pretty easy to understand the story, right? It's pretty easy. Like, okay, wise man, strong house, foolish man, sandy house. But it's actually pretty violent. And, and Jesus is pretty clear in this one. It's not like some of the other parables, parables that he tells where you need to step back and kind of think about them for a minute. If you hear Jesus's words, you have to make a choice on whether you do them or not. 
The one who doesn't do the things is not going to stand up against all of life. The one who doesn't do them will suffer terrible disasters on, on and on and on. And, and you might be thinking like, boom, okay, sermon over. Let's, let's get out of here, right? But it's not that simple. Pastor Mark and I are really big on context, understanding what was spoken, why it sounds like it does, and what it actually meant to the original audience. Because only after we understand the context that Jesus spoke those things, we can really start to put it into practice today, because that's essentially what we do with every, every one of our teaching times. We want things to be put into practice today. Because remember, the, Jesus, the, the stories he told then are still changing the world today. Now, now, Jesus tells this parable at the end of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, he's been teaching to hundreds and possibly thousands of people on the side of a mountain for most likely a couple of days. And he's been teaching them about love and marriage, uh, about how to honor the sick and the poor and to be better uh, uh, parents and to be better children of God, how to be good people and how to serve and how to enter the kingdom of God. Like this has just been kind of the totality. And the story of the wise and the foolish builder is literally the last thing Jesus teaches for the Sermon on the Mount. And so he teaches it, and then he stands up to leave, and then we see this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. We says, it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, all of the things, but also the wise man and the foolish man, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Now, we don't have time to get into what that, actually, that, that last little bit there, quite unlike their teachers of religious law, but suffice it to say that Jesus amazed everybody with all these teachings. And on top of that, he gave them a choice. Go and be like the builder of the house on stone or go and be like the builder of the house on sand. Those are really your only two choices. And that might seem very weird to us today. In our society today, we have more than two choices, right? What about the gray areas? What about debating things until people see our side? What about changing our mind? In our, in our age today, in our culture, there seems to be limitless possibilities and limitless ways to tackle a problem or to combat an issue. But to first century Jewish people who were listening to Jesus, there's really only two ways to handle who God was and how they could live in their own faith and their religious system. Two ways. See, the Jewish people knew this, this story here. They, they saw this story happening, but they also knew the story of the prophet Moses from a couple of thousand years before. And the prophet Moses led the Hebrew people away from the Egyptian slavery. They had enslaved them for 400 years, and Moses led them out in what was called the Exodus. And they go through, you know, there's, a, there's the, the, the Red Sea and the, the Red Sea parts, and they do something, and they walk around, and then Moses goes up a mountain, and he then he gets these kind of commandments, these rules, these regulations of how to live as a Hebrew person. And he comes back down the mountain and he presents these laws and these commandments of God. And he teaches all these things to the good citizens of God's kingdom. And when he does that, he says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, now listen, I'm giving you a choice today between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands and decrees and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply and and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. 
today. I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. And there it is, pretty plain and simple. Moses lays it all out. Love the Lord your God or refuse to listen to him and walk away. And the warnings are really simple. You won't live a good long life if you don't follow after God. And Jesus mirrors that exact same choice. Either build your house upon God or build it upon something that isn't God, which is crazy to us in our modern lexicon. Now, this parable, okay, we're talking context here. This parable assumes two really big things. It assumes, number one, that wisdom is something that can actually come from hearing God's word and then acting upon it. But it also assumes that, number two, everyone is building something. And we'll get to that one in a second because I, I want to talk about wisdom. We need to talk about wisdom and what it means. See, wisdom kind of is defined a little bit differently in the Bible. When you kind of think about this parable or you sing the songs of the wise man building his house upon the rock or you start thinking about it, you in today's culture, you don't actually start thinking about Moses and his teaching. So when I bring up Deuteronomy chapter 30, that's not what you're, you're thinking. All of your thinking is just focused on the parable. That's okay. That's what we're taught to do. But then you probably start to think about the imagery itself that's presented in this parable. You think about the sand, you think about the rock, you think about the houses, you think about the storms and the builders and everything and that's going on around that. And, and all that is super important. But we also need to remember that the parables are stories with a point. They're not to just entertain us. They're meant to teach us. And this story is meant to illustrate something. It's meant to illustrate where wisdom comes from. Look at the wise builder. The wise builder in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. That's the wise guy, right? Man, wise guy. No, the wise builder. But that's in contrast to the foolish builder of verse 26, where Jesus says, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house upon sand. There is a stark difference between wise and foolish. Now, anytime you hear those two words in the Bible, wise and foolish, you need to understand something. It does not mean smart and stupid. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Wise is not just smart. Foolish is not just stupid. In fact, most of the time, it, they don't even correlate at all. Wise and foolish are actually the outcomes of how people act or how they react in certain scenarios. They're outcomes. They're, they're kind of the end of the equation. Foolishness is not stupidity, but, but rather it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a conscious decision to reject the good and to choose the wrong. Now, there's a, there's a large book, like smack dab in the middle of the Bible, called Proverbs. And, and we find a lot of scenarios and phrases about how the wise lives in the book of Proverbs. And in that, foolishness is always kind of the corollary to the wise choices that you could make. Foolishness is always a choice to not do the wise thing. The person knows the right way to do things, but they choose to do otherwise. And we fall into this every day. I mean, think of every lazy thing that you've ever done, but it may have worked. You need a screwdriver to go do something. And there's a screwdriver out in the garage or out in your car, but you don't want to have to walk all the way out there. So you use a butter knife instead. Like I've done that and I've cut my fingers up. Yes, with a butter knife. 
or you have something in your teeth, but instead of going to get the floss, you use a credit card instead or something along those lines. We all do that, right? <laughs> Jesus's words here are of wisdom. And wisdom comes not only from hearing God's word, so hearing the things that Jesus is speaking, knowing about Moses, knowing about the book of Proverbs, not only hearing, but acting on it too. That's wisdom. Wisdom is acting like we understand or acting as if we believe, acting as if we can trust God's word. And we can trust God's word because he is a good, good father to us who not only knows what's best for us, but, but he wants what's best for me and you and all of us as well. There's a there's a great story about um, Tony Dungy. If you don't know who Tony Dungy is, he I'm from Tampa. He was kind of this legendary coach down here. Also, just an all around kind of amazing Christian dude. He lives just around the corner. He goes to a local church. He's just a great guy. He also, by the way, won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning, which is totally awesome. And Tony Dungy tells this story about trying to parent his high school age son. Now, his son woke up one morning and was complaining about not having enough energy throughout the day. It was just, oh my gosh, I was so tired. Everything is just so draining. But at the same time, he also admitted that he didn't eat breakfast in the morning. Now, again, Tony Dungy, Super Bowl winning coach. He has coached all sorts of athletes, actual just amazing specimens of athletes, athletes who knew how to get their bodies in peak, perfect, energetic condition. And so Tony Dungy walks in and tells his son, hey, you should probably be eating breakfast. That would help you. You know what the son did? He shrugged it off and he didn't listen. And uh, the way Tony tells it in one of his books, he, it just it would it seemed mad to him that his son wouldn't listen to him, a Super Bowl winning coach. If there's any parents listening to this, by the way, take heart. It, it turns out that Super Bowl winning parents struggle to get their message across to their kids too. So you're you're in good hands if your kids aren't listening to you. Now, the point of telling that story is not that his kid was feeling low in energy. The point was that the kid now knew what the wise thing to do was, but he instead did the foolish thing, right? And I wonder, I wonder how many times God looks at us and says the exact same thing to us. Like how many times does he look at us and go, Andy, you knew what it was to be loving and generous and kind and joyful. You know what it means to be all these. I've given you all of these things that may look like rules, but are actually better ways to live. And you still don't listen to me. You know how many times God probably says that to me? God speaks to us constantly. And yet, if you're like me, you are constantly busy or worried or anxious about the future. I get real sad and real depressed a decent amount of times. And consequently, when that happens, I don't think about things clearly. I don't, I don't see the overall picture. I don't see the legacy or the impact that I'm leaving. And so I choose to do the foolish instead of the wise all the time. And, and I fail to, to, to look forward and I fail to realize that I'm building something. In fact, you right now, you're building something. We're all building some sort of house. That's, that's the second thing I kind of wanted to get to tonight. We're, we're all building something. Every day, every action, every decision is a way to build something. It's a way to stack stone on stone, wood piece on wood piece, Lego brick on Lego brick, decision upon decision. We are all building something. Go back to the parable that Jesus told. 
The wise man built his house upon rock. He sunk those timbers right into the foundation. But the foolish man is over here building his house upon sand. No real foundation to sink anything into. Both are building a house, right? Both are building things. But the difference is the foundation. And I know you might declare me Captain Obvious right now, but, but this is actually pretty profound if you think about it. Everyone is building something. Your house or your life, also known as your life, is being built upon something right now. There's a, there's a choice that Jesus is putting before all of his listeners, then, but also now. And, 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 and in front of us right now, we are, we are faced with how we are going to build. What are we going to build? What are we going to build our, uh, our life upon? Are we going to build it upon the life-giving, saving, amazing, gracious, loving words of God? Or are we going to build it on something else entirely, something that is going to burn up in the end, something that is going to ultimately fade away upon the sand that will turn into mud, that will make our lives tip over? What are we building on. We are, we are all searching for meaning in our life. We are all searching for a purpose. We're searching for our worth. Our, we're searching for our sense of identity. We're shaping that. We're molding that. And we're being fed back today's culture, which is constantly trying to buy our worth. Am I right? It's constantly trying to buy your worth, trying to show you that if you just spent a little bit more money or you spent a little bit more time getting good at League of Legends, maybe you'd be better. If you spent more money on a better house or a better car or a better phone, you'd be better. If you, if you spent enough time getting a good enough raid group together in destiny you're going to be worth more if you if you get into the best school or you find the best job you're going to find out who you truly are we are constantly constantly building onto these things it's an endless list of things that are ultimately building upon sand they will turn into mud and topple go back to the story of superstorm sandy that i told earlier one of the key turning points in knowing who Jesus was and what my life was worth was when we were cleaning up after the storm. Nobody ever sees that. That's a terrible part of all of this. I was a I was a worship pastor for uh, I am coming at you, Jersey, about the about the about the league thing. You're welcome. I love you. Uh, I was a worship pastor for a church at the time, uh, but I also had connections with a couple of local ministries. And so me and a couple of the leaders there, we started to organize rescue and cleanup efforts immediately after the storm rolled through, like hours after the storm rolled through, because for some reason, God has given me a huge heart for literal storm restoration. Like it's just something that he just gave me. I, my heart was breaking and I, I couldn't do enough to get out there. I couldn't be out there quick enough to be helping people. I, I really feel alive when I'm going into areas to help tear out sheetrock and, and cook meals and bring water to people who are suffering like that. I, I, I just something that I like to do. But as I was organizing efforts, I only kept thinking about how many houses we could get through in a day. It was all about efficiency. I'm a project manager at heart, man. It was all about getting through the work. It was about more and more and more numbers. The more people we could help, the more houses we could get to and on and on and on. And I remember one chilly, chilly Saturday morning in kind of the beginning of November, right in the heart of Atlantic City, right in the ghetto area of Atlantic City. And there is a ghetto area up there. Trust me, it is, it's nasty. It's bad. And there were a bunch of uh, row houses. If you don't know what row houses are, they're essentially kind of really thin shotgun two 
two-story houses. They're, they're government housing, tenement housing. There were a bunch of row houses that had just really suffered the worst of it all. They were at a kind of bowl. There was a bowl kind of in the middle of the city, and they had sometimes six and sometimes eight feet of water in their bottom floors. If you think about how tall a, a story is, that's essentially the entire first story had seawater dirty, nasty seawater in it. And the people that were living there, because they were living in the ghetto, they couldn't afford to evacuate. They couldn't, they couldn't get out. They couldn't go live elsewhere while their houses were being worked on because most of them had no insurance and most of them had no running water or heat or power. They, they couldn't pay to do any of these things. And so they were living on the floors of their houses with none of those amenities, nothing. And a lot of them started getting sick because there was literal salt water still trapped within the sheetrock. And then there was mold starting to set in. It was awful. Smelled bad. It was just, a, it was, a, it was terrible. It was a humanitarian disaster. And so I led a team of 10 people out there and I, I was leading this team. We had other teams kind of all around the, the city at that, that day, but I, I led this team out and I had the intention of cutting the sheetrock out and mucking out four houses that day. That's what we were going to get through. We were going to get through four houses, two before lunch, two after lunch, and we were going to roll. It was going to be awesome. And then we got to the first house and there was this older lady um, and she had come to Atlantic City directly from Mexico with her son. And they had come in hopes of working at one of the casinos. That was kind of where, where a lot of people, a lot of immigrants went to. Neither of them spoke English very well, um, but we did have, fortunately, we had someone on our team who was fairly good with Spanish. Um, and as we started, because we had this language barrier, because we needed that translator far too often, everything was just taking far too long. And I had wanted to get in and get out. I just, I wanted to go. I wanted to go. I wanted, like, we had stuff to do, man. Like, I love you, but we got people to say. We got, we got things to do. And, and it looked like we weren't really going to be able to do much more than like that one house that day. There was a lot wrong. And we got ready to eat lunch and we we're still at that house. And I had wanted to be through three more houses that day. And as we sat down to eat lunch with these people out, outside, uh, we were sitting in the back of some guy's truck and God, God broke me that day. Something clicked with me about halfway through that morning. God, God showed me that I had been the one that was driving me. Me. I was the one that was driving me. I was the one that wanted to get through those four houses. Nobody else. Nobody, there was no checklist. I was not getting paid for this. There was, no other, there was no other agenda other than my pride, my ego. I wanted to be able to go tell the other groups that were out that day as we gathered back at the church. I wanted to be able to tell them all of the good works that I had done, that my team had done, that we had done, because I have always had that thing inside of me that needs to prove how good I am at things. My identity is based on what I'm producing. I want people to look at me and like me and love me. And, and it's still, by the way, this is still something I have to fight every day. I'm, I'm in counseling. I've been in counseling for years through this exact thing. But that morning, that specific morning with Naomi and her son, my life's foundation was shaken. My life had been built on something completely different. It was built on ego and pride. My identity was built on those things. And when I was faced with, uh, with Naomi and her son, with what the other people around that area were, were faced with, when I, when I looked that dead in the face, people that live literally 10 minutes from me, by the way, I realized that I needed to rethink everything. I mean, I mean, I, I would crumble if, I, if a song was bad at church or if I thought someone didn't like me. Like I would crumble. I would just turn in myself and become just a mess of a human. My life was, was built on what people thought of me and what I was doing, not on something or someone who would help me withstand life's greatest storms. 
much like the houses that had been washed away in that storm, much like the houses that are built upon sand, my life wasn't prepared for anything to push against it. And down the line, that would have been way more harm. And that's why God broke me of it that day. Because hear me right now when I say this, friends. Storms are going to come. You know this. You might be in one right now. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're wise or foolish. It doesn't matter if you're following God or following something else. There, those storms are going to come. There's this, there's this old adage that pastors have carried around for tons of years. And it says, you're either going into a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're smack dab in the middle of one. And that's it. That is all that the, the, the fallen sin-stained world that we live in brings to you. Going into the storm, in the middle of it, or coming out. And it's just a cycle that repeats itself. And sometimes it's like an actual literal storm that we're in, a hurricane or a typhoon or a or tornado or something along those lines. But maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's depression or sadness or overwhelming guilt. Maybe, maybe you can't find a job. Maybe you're going bankrupt. Our, our storms that hit us have a way of exposing our true foundation really quickly. Kind of wrestle with this question for just a second. What happens when you find out that you're losing something? What happens when, when you find out when something is being taken away from you? Do you immediately get angry? Do you immediately get depressed? Do you sink back into yourself? Or do you run to God with your issues and let him deal with them? That's what the wise builder does. And, and I am most of the time like the foolish builder. We all want to be like the wise builder, right? We all want to trust the foundation of Jesus that, that we're building upon. We all want to trust those choices to pray through and confront the storms head on like Jesus wants us to. We all want to do that because the foundation of Jesus is the one that is built upon trust. Trusting that Jesus is in fact who he says he is. The sinless son of God who came to die for you to take away your sin and shame and despair and depression and anger and sadness and all of those things so that you could be made right with God so that you could have a house that was built on a foundation that never Ever, ever, ever changes that never blows over because Jesus is the same to you, to me, to your friends and your family who are walking away from them. He is the same loving, gracious, eternal God. And it's up to us to just look at him and say, yes, Lord, I want to build my foundation upon you. That is it. That is our mission. And that is our challenge. Because a lot of the time, even those of us that are following Jesus, we say we follow him. <laughs> But when my wife gets sick or my daughter gets sick or my son is in pain or I can't seem to get out of my own way and sink into my own depression, I immediately blame God and I think he's judging me. And that's my own shallow faith, which is being built upon sand in those moments. And you might be right there with me. <laughs> Chances are you are. But you know what? God knows that. He forgives me. He loves me. He restores me the second I turn towards him and ask for his forgiveness. And the same goes for you right now. To be, to be clear, following Jesus or building your house upon the rock doesn't mean that your life is not going to be hard. I mean, because your life is going to be hard regardless. But choosing to follow Jesus by, by not only hearing his words, but by following them, by, by building upon them. It, it, will, it will give you a spiritual resource and a strength to, to help really withstand and endure the greatest storms that life brings your way.
because there is no storm, literally nothing that can be thrown at you that Jesus cannot withstand. Literally nothing. I mean, the man himself literally defeated death by rising three days later. That's it. That's the, that's the biggest thing that can be thrown at you. And Jesus already defeated that, right? The apostle Paul says it like this in Romans chapter eight, verse 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I want to sign up for that. I want to sign up for God's power living in me. I want to sign up for the house that allows God to dwell right inside me. I want to build on that foundation. And that right there is why this parable matters. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's why this parable matters. Every week we, uh, we talk about wanting to take something practical away from what we're talking about. So tonight, here's why this matters. Jesus is the foundation that survives every storm. Again, remember how I said it was very simplistic, but also like something we needed to wrestle through? Jesus is the foundation that survives every single storm. So look back on your life. Look back on the foundations of where you've built your life. Have you, have you allowed yourself to kind of settle into the foundation of sand? Have you allowed the, the worms of depression and sadness and anger to really control how your life is? Have you, have you allowed the world to tell you that you're only worth uh, really a, a sand shallow kind of existence? Or are you building your life upon the rock that is Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God living inside of you, and God the Father who forgives you? What foundation are you building upon? I want to pray for us, and we're going to move back into a time of worship with Ryan. And, and in that time of worship, I'm going to be in chat. I know Pastor Mark's been in chat as well. And I would love to hear the things that you're wrestling with. And, I, you know, we don't need to get super emotional and super deep or anything like that. We'll be in Discord later for any of that if you need to need follow up on that. But I'd love to hear what are the things that are kind of directing what your identity, your worth, your meaning, your purpose are. Is it the foundation of Jesus or is it the foundation of something else? Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for what this church allows us to do, to build our house upon the foundation that is Jesus Christ. And in the midst of all of these things that life has thrown our way, God, we know that the sand that culture tries to tell us to build upon is literally meaningless. It will wash away at the first sign of, of a storm coming, God. The literal first drops of a rainstorm will turn that sand into mud and we will topple. God, help us to sink deep within you tonight. Help us to sink deep within the Spirit of God. Help us to know beyond knowing, beyond knowing, beyond that shadow of even a sliver of doubt that you are who you say you are, a good, loving, gracious Father who has given us literally his own Son to die for us so that we may believe and live eternal lives. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray and all of God's people say, amen. Let's move back into a time of worship. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Lux Digital Church. If Lux has been having an impact on your life, I want to encourage you to visit us at luxdigitalchurch.com and get connected to our community there. We're so thankful for you and we appreciate you. Have a blessed day and a blessed week.